Amen. Well, there, 1944, the 3rd of June, he was on a ship, and that ship was bobbing up and down in a storm on the coast of France. And there on that ship, the whole company was united as one, each and every man, regardless of rank, working together as one. They were working together as one to prepare for the D-Day landings. And the man that witnessed this remarkable moment of humans united with one purpose was a man called David Broadenox. He was to go on to be the principal of Moore College. And he was a chaplain, a naval chaplain. And he said as he saw those men work, regardless of rank, so united in purpose, so harmonious, so dedicated, he said as he was part of that and as he witnessed that, he said, I have never been happier in my life than to be part of that moment together with those men as they prepared to land on the beaches of Normandy. And he reflected as the ship got into port. In fact, some of those within the ship started to come to him and started to complain. They said that something had changed from the moment when they were preparing to land to the moment when they were back in port. There'd been a change. People had started to complain there was a shift in the level of self-centeredness. People had grown a little more self-centered when the action was over. He observed something that we might call fellowship. Now, when we use the word fellowship in church, we often think of morning tea, and uh, you know that's not less than fellowship, but fellowship in the Bible is something far more, and that's what we're going to think about a little this morning. We're going to begin looking at verses 3 to 11 and we're going to see that the Apostle Paul in this opening section of the letter to the church in Philippi is absolutely beside himself with joy. And the theme of joy is going to be something we're going to see time and time again in the book of Philippians. But we're going to see this morning that Paul's joy is grounded in three things. Firstly, it's grounded in his remembrance of those in Philippi. Secondly, it's grounded in his fellowship in the gospel. And thirdly, it's grounded in his confidence in his future. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to open to Philippians chapter 1. So firstly, Paul's remembrance of those in Philippi. Paul is in prison. He's in, prison in, uh, he's in prison and his mind is taken to this small church in Philippi. This small collection of believers are unknown to the Roman Empire but are known to God and to his apostle. Last week we saw from Acts chapter 16 and 17 how Paul had begun a work, a gospel work, by bringing the word of God to these people and to this city. The city was like a little Rome, an outpost of the empire, perhaps more Roman than the Romans. But it was not the sophistication of Roman culture that Paul remembered. It wasn't the food or the fashion. It wasn't the music or the architecture that he brought to his mind. 
It was the faces of those that came to hear the gospel, the faces of Lydia, the merchant, whose heart was so wonderfully opened by God as Paul spoke about the Lord Jesus to her, the jailer and his family who had allowed Paul to go free and had pleaded with him, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Eudoia, Syntychia, Clement perhaps were on his mind as well and as he thinks of those in Philippi, he has a smile on his face, I think. And you can see that in verses 3 and 4. If you have a look there in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. One of the remarkable things about the Apostle Paul is that he rarely thanks God for things given. He often thanks God for people. Even those that give him trouble, Paul thanks God for them. Interesting, at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, he mentions names. He mentions a lot of names of people. Do you know how many? Just off the top of your head, does anyone know how many names Paul mentions at the end of his letter to the Romans? Anyone want to have a guess? 47. 27. More than 27. Less than 100. Someone else want to have a guess? Very close, 33. He mentions 33 people. And he hasn't even been to that church at the time of writing. Paul remembers. And he remembers these people. These people who have come to trust in the Lord Jesus. And he remembers not, not just the, the well-known ones. He, he remembers all of them in all my prayers for all of you. And as he remembers these people, it it sounds this note of joy, a a note that he will strike 15 times in this epistle, culminating at the very end of the book in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. But this is the first note of joy, and I think it has two reasons. As Paul remembers those who came to trust in the Lord Jesus in Philippi, he had heard later of the kind of church that they were. They were a church that were known for their joy in the midst of affliction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul praises them for their abundance of joy, not because things were going well, but quite the opposite, because they were hard-pressed, because they were suffering and yet... This this church at that time was joyous amidst severe affliction. And And I wonder if one of the reasons that Paul is writing to this church is that perhaps it is possible that this church that started with such joy, that had been joyous in the midst of affliction, perhaps their joy had begun to flag and fade. And perhaps he's writing to them because he wants to remind them. He wants to reignite the joy that they once had. There's another reason that Paul uh, sounds this note of joy at the start here. I think Paul, as he writes, wants to remind them about a reality of the Christian life. As Paul is imprisoned and is awaiting possible execution, it could be that Paul wants to remind 
the Philippians that joy is not a result of circumstances. That Christian joy is not a result of success or of prosperity. Joy for the Apostle Paul, joy for the biblical writers, is not merely an emotional state. It's not a mood that the Apostle finds himself in as he wakes up. But, but joy for the Bible writers is a deep disposition of the heart. It's an, it's an orientation of the heart that's quite separate from what is going on around the person. Paul will say in chapter 3, verse 1, you can turn over there and have a quick look. He says, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is commanding these Christians to rejoice. Later on in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Paul commands, commands these Christians to rejoice. And he's not commanding merely that they just cheer up and put a smile on. He's commanding them to remember something deeper. He even tells them in chapter 2, verse 17, that if he dies, he's going to rejoice. He's not commanding a feeling here. He's urging an attitude, an orientation, a mindset that is deep, that is better deep within. And he can command this because the source of joy, the source of joy itself is in God. As we'll discover as we read this letter, four times in the book, in chapter 2, Verse 29, 3 verse 1, 4 verse 4 and 4 verse 10, Paul speaks about joy, but it's joy not simply as a mood, but it's joy in God. It's the response to knowing that his life is with God, that he is in God, that he is united to him. It's joy in the Lord, and it's the Lord who gives that joy. What Paul is doing here as he starts his letter and as he'll echo 15 times, he'll mention joy. He's reassuring them that he, as he perhaps is languishing in prison, that he is not robbed if he's joy. And I don't know about you, but when you hear of the Apostle Paul there in his prison cell, as he remembers these Philippians, as he's encouraging them, as he says to them, rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. I don't know about you, but do you feel like you come up short? Do you feel like the Apostle Paul is speaking about something that is, is somewhat familiar, but the, the degree to which he is joyous in God is something that you don't often experience? I, um, I feel that. I feel that as I read this letter. I feel that as I think about my own life, about the lack of a deep joy. It's something that I want to keep coming back to. I want to keep coming back to why is Paul so joyous in God and so often we're not? Now, that is not an easy question to answer, and that's not something I want to give you one line just to fix 
It's something that I want to bury in your minds to actually think about. To think about as we read this book together over the next couple of months. What does the Apostle Paul know about God that we often don't? So firstly, we see that Paul is joyous because he remembers those who he um, who he saw converted in Philippi. But secondly, Paul is joyous because of his fellowship in the gospel. Paul is joyous because God has so powerfully worked in these people's lives and it's given him joy. But these people are with him as he works in gospel ministry. It's the connection that he has with them that gives him joy. Have a look there in verse 5. He's praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Apostle Paul has this three-way bond. There's a bond there between the Philippians, between Paul and between Christ. And it provides this spiritual glue. It joins them together. And the, the word that Paul uses to describe how they're joined together is this word partnership or fellowship. The Philippians' relationship with Paul is something that Paul regards as a deep fellowship. It's infused with fellowship, their relationship. And their relationship has this other person-centeredness It has given them this cohesion and this direction. They're united together in the work of the gospel from the very first moment until now, now as Paul is in prison. And it's a fellowship, it's a bond that unites them in chapter 2 verse 1 in the Holy Spirit. It's a fellowship that unites them in Christ's suffering in chapter 3 verse 10. It's a fellowship that unites them in sacrifice Chapter 4, verse 14. And later on there in verse 7 in chapter 1, it's a fellowship of grace. Have a look there in verse 7. Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. And Paul says there in verse 7, that all of you share in God's grace with me, the word there is the same word for partnership. It's that fellowship word, the fellowship in God's grace. Here they are as Paul has gone about his ministry, reaching out with the gospel, giving, giving and suffering together, bound together in this cause of taking the gospel to the Mediterranean and the European worlds. And this grace that has been given, the grace that's been spoken of here is not so much a saving grace, but it's the same word here to endure hardship, as we see in chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been grace to you, it has been given to you to suffer for the gospel. Now the Greeks didn't think this way, the Romans didn't think this way, and we don't think this way. But the Apostle Paul thought this way. Although he was separated by distance, he was bound with those that he had ministered to. 
And he was bound quite supernaturally and practically. Supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, together united in Christ, but also bound practically. As we saw last week, they send a gift to him in prison. And as we hear of how united Paul is with the church in Philippi, I wonder if you reflect upon your own life and upon our own fellowship here at Point Church. I mean, there have been times I've felt so connected with people in the life of our church, but there have been other times where I've felt so distant. Again, what does the Apostle Paul know that we don't? Are you looking to be united together with others in the cause of the gospel? Because for the Apostle Paul, that was his deepest joy, his relationship with others in seeing the gospel go forth. And if that was the Apostle's greatest joy, then it ought to be ours. And so there's a challenge here for us this morning. Often when we see, feel distant from, from the fellowship and relationship within God's people, often it's a good opportunity for us to ask, have we given ourselves to the gospel and to one another? Are we giving ourselves to one another, involved in one another's lives? Do we know the joy that that brings that the Apostle Paul is speaking of here? The Apostle Paul is joyous because of those he remembers, because of the fellowship and bond that he has with those believers, but he's also joyous finally because he is confident. He's confident in his future, finally. You see it that in verse 6. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. These words are wonderful words. They're wonderful words of encouragement that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. What God has started in your life, the Apostle Paul is reminding us here that he will bring it to completion. The Apostle Paul faces much uncertainty, bound in prison, thinking of those he had a tremendous connection and flourished in gospel ministry with. He doesn't know what's coming the next day, his next day. He doesn't know what it will be, but he knows he is secure. Paul is confident today because he knows that God is in control of tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'd be very confident as a person if I knew what would happen tomorrow. But I don't. And so sometimes I lack confidence, and I'm sure you do too. But here the Apostle is reminding us that no matter what our state today, no matter what our condition, no matter what good comes to us or even harm, that the Lord Jesus has begun a good work. He's begun it in our lives as we've first trusted him. Perhaps you did that as a child. Perhaps you've done that as an adult. We're reminded this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that God has chosen those who trust him before the foundation of the world. That part of the work of God is sustaining us 
keeping us in his loving care. That God has kept us to this moment. And if we look back in our lives, we can see his hand. And if he has been at work in our lives until this moment, the Apostle Paul promises that he will continue that work until the Lord Jesus returns. See, friends, sometimes I'm not confident. And I'm especially not confident in myself. I'm not confident, confident in my ability to persevere. I'm not confident in my wisdom and in my knowledge. But at the end of the day, I with you can be confident in God. That if he has started a good work in me, and if he started a good work in you, he will finish it. And if he has, we need to open ourselves to him, to lean on him, to trust him, to trust him for tomorrow in the uncertainties of today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great reminder from the Apostle Paul of his confidence in you and indeed his joy in you. Father, teach us as we begin this series in the book of Philippians, teach us the joy that the Apostle had. Teach us what it is to deepen our fellowship in the gospel, our connection with one another, and our task in ministry and in the proclamation of God's word to our world. Father, build in us a confidence that you have us in your tender and loving care. And Father, may this strengthen us for our task each day. And we pray it. In his name, amen. Please stand as we sing.